Welcome to the latest episode of Tech Salescraft with uh, myself, James Hounslow, and today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Jen Porat, uh, who is the sales leader uh, for Quagnify. Um, on the show, we talk about the experience and key learns that leaders have had during their time, uh, and we also have the the, the new part of the, uh, the podcast where Chen gets to ask me a question at the end of the show uh, that he's always wanted to ask a recruiter. So make sure you stay tuned to uh, see myself getting put on the spot for that. But before we get going, uh, Chen, could you just give the viewers a background to who you are and what you've been up to in your long and lustrous career to date? Yeah, sure. Thanks, James. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm happy to share that with you. My background has been always in the uh, on the uh, both on sales and technology. So I started, like many others, with the technology as a, an engineer, then pre-sales, then looking after uh, sales, then I became a general manager. And I moved forward to sales and I ran sales globally, also for NASDAQ-listed companies, uh, reaching over $100 million uh, on an annual basis. And then at a certain point in time, I, I felt that I, I missed the technology. So I became an entrepreneur, and that was about 10 years ago. So I I started a, a small startup. I was the first person. And then after a, a little bit more than two years, I was uh, I, I sold it to Nokia. So I became again part of uh, a global uh, company. That journey lasted for about two, two and a half years with Nokia. And then I joined Cognify, back to the R&D. And yeah. I managed the R&D at uh, Cognify, R&D, and then product management. Now I'm taking responsibility for sales as well. So R&D, product management, sales, and actually, that actually fills my aspiration to have my hands both on the technology, on the product side, and lead the, uh, the global sales for the organization. So I, I'm happy with the opportunity to bring the technology that I've, I've been leading and continue to lead to the market and uh, with a great sales team that I have and those people that I'm, I'm hiring now. Interesting. Um I was super keen to have a conversation with you because, again, um, Chen, you are, you've had a slightly different lead into sales and, and sales leadership. Coming from a technology background and a pre-sales background, how did you find moving into sales? At first, it was uh, daunting and challenging. Okay, I, um, I knew sales because I was engaged with customers intensively for a long period of time, but uh, never had the responsibility for the sales, for the quota, for the quarterly basis. So at the first time, it was a, a bit daunting, but that was really 16, 15 years ago. And then you get used to it and you get used to, to living by the quotas and living by, from quarter to quarter. And then looking at what what you did and what you your customer really really need what the customers really want and then i realized that my background my experience both with the technology and with the pre-sale which is all about bringing value has a lot of uh, leverage in my uh, sales activity so the the ability to identify both the customers that to whom, whom we could uh, impact and also the salespeople that have uh, the line of thinking of bringing value to customers and proving that value to different business owners on the at the customer side, that's uh, that what makes uh, us a, as a good organization. So, the change for me initially was uh, seems to be a big one, but then you know it it came natural. So starting with a company that sold for ten million dollars a year, 
Then yeah. after a couple of years, I moved to a company where we, we started with $40 million a year. Okay, but with the same methodologies, after two years, we were very lucky to pass the 100 million. Yeah. So once you do that, you see that there is no, no, no barrier. Okay, there is no glass ceiling. If you just follow your, your heart and follow your um, good understanding of how business should, should grow. So when you moved from pre-sales to sales, were you a salesperson? Did you have a bad carry or did you move straight into a leadership position? I uh, moved to a leadership position, but in a small company. Okay. Uh, so and, that's right. And, and how did you find working in a leadership capacity in an area that you didn't have a specialism in? Yeah, I, I just brought to who, who I am, right? Yeah. So I, I spoke with my people. I learned from the most experienced ones in my team, which I continue to do today. I don't try to be someone whom I'm not. Yeah. And, uh, no pretensions here. So I learned from my people. I learned from others. I brought mentors. Oh, I picked up mentors that I could learn from and also learn from, from customers. So really learning from lots of people. And I continue to do that today. So in every position, I think that it's really important that you you learn from your superiors. You also learn from your uh, your team. So why, why do you think you were given the opportunity? Because from an outside looking in, you're in pre-sales. Um, it looks like a big risk to give someone from pre-sales, like regardless of whether it's a large company or a small company, um, probably even bigger risk in a small company because they need to grow and, and revenue is important. Why do you think they gave you the opportunity to take on the sales role? So I can tell you that the, uh, they knew me. Okay, There was a previous acquaintance for 20 years before, so they knew who I am. I think they trusted the DNA and also got uh, good references from people that, that knew me and who believed that I can be successful in that position. What was your biggest learn from that first role as a sales leader? There are several learnings when you look at that, because always when I, I look at a role, you know, I, um, I learned, for, you know, most critical is, is focus, right? If, you, if you're running a small company or you run the sales for a small company, you have a small sales team, you're running a, at a very tight budget, you really have to, to focus and uh, not spread too much. Still, you need to take some risks. And those risks can be really out of the box thinking. So you could really focus on a territory like Europe or the US, which is traditional, but then the out of the box would be to put someone that will go and de develop a territory that you've never been there before, like Eastern Europe or Africa. And that was uh, my success. So that led to my success. So really lots of uh, focus on the, uh, uh, on the common bread and butter, but also take some offshoot that we might create a new business for the company. Okay. Uh, the second one is really important alignment uh, with my uh, colleagues inside the company and my CEO. Uh, these are really important. So sales, some people look at them as a, a unique individuals, but uh, actually we are um, company animals that uh, need to uh, harness the entire organization behind us. And therefore those internal relationships are important and need to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I just want to pick on one part that you, that you mentioned in there because it, it's associated around high performers. And, and I think we can definitely put you in the, um, in the category of a, a high performer based on the roles that you had and what you've achieved so far and there's two parts of what you mentioned there around focusing on the the bread and butter and being focused 
but you mentioned the risk element and, and taking risks. How important is that, that taking risks? We see that high performers take risks and they're more likely to take a risk. From your success, the risk element part, how, how important do you think it is that a sales leader must have that ability to take a risk? Uh, well, that's a tricky question because uh, some sales leaders in some territory, you don't just don't want them to take risks. You want them to be very prudent, very solid, and deliver as as uh, as expected. Mm-hmm. Some others, you really want them to to take risks. Usually, I would not look at the same person as the one doing both. I would uh, take a I would take a risk taker to take a suicidal approach. Uh, and but back him with uh, all my heart and capability to to make him a successful one. And the other part that you mentioned there was around um, focus uh, and, and process. And I want to move that on to the organization that when you joined, you were at 40 million annual recurring revenue. And over two years, you grew it to 100 million revenue. Now, this is a really critical phase of a business. And there will be lots of sales leads that are listening to this that are wanting to go on that same journey. And, and many people won't achieve that. I think that's a really great achievement that you, that you put in play there. If we look at the science behind that, what were the critical measures that enabled you to build a sales team or a, a sales machine that went from 40 million to 100 million ARR over a 24 month period? Well, first, the people were there, okay? So it was not about changing people. Most of the people were there. But there were two uh, important uh, methods. One is the, uh, is the sales approach. Mm-hmm. How do we approach a deal? Uh, that was a business in the industry where you have a few large deals, but everyone could be a multi, um, uh, multi-million ones. So yeah. how do you target an account? How do you look at an enterprise and you develop an enterprise sales plan and you just follow that plan? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, uh, and that means creating the, uh, the, uh, a very clear understanding of the agendas of each and every stakeholder within the organization and make sure that we either um, comply to his agenda or work around that, but do not ignore anyone. And that was really, really uh, important in order to win those deals. Then, of course, the personal relationship, because when you sign those uh, uh, large deals, you cannot do that remotely. So really visiting and spending lots of time with the customer, with the decision makers, with the purchaser, with the contract uh, um, people, making sure that we are there. And now, you know that it did not come without trust. So all along the way, you need to keep and develop the trust of your, of your partners. And they are small. Sometimes they are small. Sometimes they are large uh, gestures that you make and uh, improve the trust. That's on one side. Then the other side is on the company side. Sometimes the company, and in that case, that, that was the case, the company did not believe that they can jump from 40 million on the first year to 80 million on the second year. So the company sometimes would not build or gear itself towards that growth. So that depends data. In that case, it was a data-driven approach internally to the company to show that we are on the right trajectory and that's where we are going to, to get. And then again, even internally, you need to build that trust so the company would believe in that direction, that it's feasible and doable and uh, at the right time that you that you deliver. The best way to do that is by continuously provide data. Data, okay. Um, so so we've talked about their process, um, uh, which is which is in, 
a critical a playbook that works um, that everybody moves along. You've got the infrastructure to make sure that you're capable of, of delivering. What about the people? If the people are already there, it's those people that are going to be the difference because they're going to turn 40 into 80 to 100 or they're just going to generate 40 again. So you've got those bits in play there. What, what was your process with the talent, with the people that are there to make sure that they stepped up? It's always the same case, the same, same approach that I take. Uh, work with the people, build on their talent and relationship, which they have. Otherwise, they would not have been in the company. But now come with a method. Okay, and I'm using a method that I learned over 20 years ago. Some other people are using the Miller-Hyman method. Mm -hmm. I think that those, me those methods have not changed for the last 100 years and probably will not change when you're doing strategic selling. So it's just about picking the right method and, and working with that. And that means to engage the organization, not just the salespeople, it's sales people, sales, pre-sale, and also the uh, product. Uh, so they work together as a team in order to achieve a goal, but they also align with, the, uh, with a plan. And the plan, you know, a plan eventually has to be written. It has to be measurable. It has to define the resources uh, and the targets. And that's, Eventually, that, that works. Yeah. Uh, so it's not only about the people. People are crucial, right? You need to have the right people. They need to be open to accept a different approach in uh, selling if they don't have it. Uh, but it's also about building the team and having the, uh, the methodology to follow. Okay. I like it. Um, so you've achieved what a lot of sales leaders are looking at to go and achieve. You've You've, you've turned a business or you've created a business that's got to 100 million uh, annual recurring revenue. Not only of that, you've also started a business and sold it. So you've got the cap that a lot of um, sales leaders want, and you've also got the cap that a lot of founders are, are looking for um, as well. When you started this business, do you think having experience as a sales leader helps you massively in the early days rather than just being a technologist who had an idea? Uh, absolutely. I, um, I built it in the bootstrap. So I got a little bit of uh, finance to take some technology and turn it into a product. Mm -hmm. And obviously the, uh, the goal was to get the first deal within a year. Actually, I reached it in, after eight months. Uh, otherwise, we would not have survived. So uh, I could not, just as a technologist, we yeah. would not get anywhere. Uh, just as a sales, I would not have a product to, uh, to deliver, but having both arms really helped. What do you think, um, and is it easy to pinpoint, that something that you did differently knowing that you had your sales background that you might not have done in those early days if you were just a technologist? So if you were talking to bootstrapped, seed-funded technologists who, 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 are, who are, it's just them and a few people, what advice would you give them that you did knowing that you had the sales experience that these people should think about that you perhaps might not have done if you were just thinking about technology? Uh, it was about, I would say, it's about customer face time mm -hmm. that I spent having the understanding that at that stage where you have to get your first customer on board, um, you have to spend lots of face time with with, with the right candidates or right candidate customer that you want yeah. to achieve. Uh, it's not about building the best technology. Customer would accept, especially when you are a startup, that you don't have the technology ready yet, the product, the solution is not ready. You just, but you have something to show. 
Yeah. And they don't expect you to bring a, a full-fledged, uh, nicely packed solution, but they want to they want to believe in a vision. Yeah. Now, if you show them the vision, they buy into it, and you also show some stakes in the ground that you have the measures to deliver that vision to them, that really helps. Mm -hmm. So don't don't try to pretend as if you already have a product. You know, after uh, having so many years in sales. Uh, you realize that it's better to be really open about what you have and what you have not. Uh, but if you believe in the, in the value that it will bring, if you get the customer to believe in the value, then you get a team. Like it, like it. And did you, do you think, you, you mentioned there about a, a lot of contact with potential clients. And did you find that you were focusing on, you had an idea, you knew that was needed, and then you were focusing on making sure you built something that the client wanted. So that's why you, you, you went in, you had a lot of those conversations. I see a lot of technologists who have a great idea and then they try and create something and then sell that idea to a client. So do you think you were building something of your idea, but also what people were wanting to buy? Uh, we were not sure. Okay, when I started, I just saw a, a technology that yeah. is looking for an application and some ideas about applications that the engineers thought that they would be useful, but I'd never, I, I didn't have the feedback from customers around that. And then visiting customers, talking to them, getting to know their language, getting to understand their pains, just directed us in, the, in a certain direction. So, you know, you start with a big funnel of application that might be useful for the customer. Eventually you lock in on one and make sure that you do it really well show the value, which is measurable, and then you, you move forward from there. Yeah, that's how we, we worked it out. Okay, um, and you mentioned that when you first got into sales, you got some mentors. How important uh, do you find mentors? And still, do you still have mentors today? Uh, I do, uh, as my, I do, okay. Some of the mentors are, uh, are still the same ones that I had before, because as soon as I developed and they developed uh, as well. So I, uh, I keep at least one or two of the, one or two of these uh, continuously in my life, which is really helpful. I think that mentors are important because they provide you a different angle that you will not find within your own company. It's important for everyone, I think, in every position, and I also nurture it within the company to make sure that some of the people, especially those that we see that have a high potential, they'll yeah. get mentorship by by people who are not their uh, direct managers. How often do you speak to your mentor? It depends on his availability and mine. Sometimes it can be uh, once in a couple of months. Sometimes it's uh, every six months. Yeah, it really depends. So let's move into uh, the excitement of Quagnify. What's going on now in your world? So you, you you've built um, sales teams. You've worked on products. You've created a business. You've sold it. You joined Quagnify. You owned part of it. You now own a much larger part of it. What's the plan? What's going on? What's the excitement around Cognify at the moment? Compared to many other companies in the uh, technology companies in the world, we, we are a company that really touches people. Okay? Yeah. That, and we influence people's lives. So we make millions of people reach home at time every day. Yeah. And that's something that not every technology company gets to do to, to really impact the security, safety, uh, and the service of the uh, public transportation, for example. Uh, so with Cognify, I feel that 
we are doing something which is more than just a technology or product or value to shareholders. We are really improving uh, the world a little bit step by step. Um, so th that's a real area of satisfaction. We do that by providing incident management solutions for infrastructure providers like rail, uh, airline, and, uh, and others, and also uh, security solutions for banks, campuses, safe smart cities, uh, et cetera. So uh, we have those two areas of improving the operations and also improving the security um, by providing them incident management system. So that's really exciting. And uh, it's only growing, okay? The, the, um, the breadth of the solution that we provide grows from every, uh, from every release to the other, and then we apply to more and more uh, customers. So it's really interesting to see how we started with security, then we shifted to mass transportation. Then in mass transportation, we developed really uh, advanced solutions for rail operators. And then in some countries in Europe, we covered the entire nation uh, in supporting for the rail. Then we moved to light rail, and now we are engaged in uh, very large infrastructure projects in uh, of a uh, light rail in Israel, for example. So um, really exciting uh, projects and uh, very good use of uh, or good match of our technology for such projects. Interesting. Um, I just want to, um, before I let you get back to uh, your day, and I know you've got your uh, your ice cream break uh, to come up, which I'm very jealous about. Um, you've done a lot of hiring um, in, in, in your time. When do you know that a business is ready to hire and a sales team is ready to grow? Business is ready to, to hire when I see the potential which is unmet, and I believe that there is a, that potential is going to grow. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's not only having the potential there, but I see a trajectory. Um, so that's my, it's, it's, you know, it's very difficult to quantify because if you don't have the salespeople in place, how do you know that there is a potential, yeah. right? So you need to get, you need to use some uh, gut feel around the potential. And sometimes you will be, you will be right. Sometimes you will be, you will be wrong. However, uh, I believe that if you get the right people in place in your company, um, you might be missing the first goal, but then you will get another goal to, to target. You might be focusing on a spe specific segment of vertical because you believe that the, the, goal, the, the market is there. Eventually, it might not be there, but a different vertical will be the one that you, you can target. So if you were to advise a sales leader that might be at Series A or Series B at the moment, where what you mentioned there about hiring, um, and, and the reason to go to high might be that there's a little bit of an overlap, but it might be slightly different where um, a VC has just come in and given them a great wad of cash. Um, but because they've given them that sort of cash, they want to return a return comes on revenue and targets are set based on the cash that has arrived rather than the performance or the capability of the business at that point, which is forced the sales manager to go out and hire what advice would you give at that point would you advise that you fight to not go for those targets that are being set and how would you do that or do you put your own plan across of what you feel the business is capable of doing um no matter of what funding has been given to the to the uh, to the owners i would go definitely with the latter Okay, even if it would uh, cost me with my position. 
Yeah. I would go with my heart. I would not spend uh, any anyone's money for nothing if I don't believe in that. That's definitely the way. You know, we see the market today is tumbling, and uh, yeah. we see that investors' expectations are that were really high are now are more moderate. Uh, I believe that. Um, as a person that you know, been in the market and the business for for quite a long time, you just don't create false expectations. Uh, it's it's not going to help anyone in the long term. If you create a long expectation and you continue to follow them and spend more money out of that, it becomes a, it will blow up eventually. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, so we are at that point, um, Jim, where you are able to ask me anything you like um, that you've always thought about asking a, a recruiter, uh, and I will do my best to, uh, to answer it. All right, so James, usually an interview takes one hour, but seriously, how long into the interview do you know if the candidate is the right, has the right fit of the position or not? So that's a great question. If you ask most sales leaders um, about hiring, they'll say that they want to get hiring right more often than they do. And the interview process is the key time where you can analyze if somebody is a key player for your business or not. And a lot of the time, why a sales leader might get that wrong or an interviewer in general might get that wrong is because they don't know what they're interviewing for. So what they'll say is that I'm interviewing for a sales and they'll go on gut feel. Now, most of us will know that within a conversation, we can quite early work on if we like a person or not, um, because that's a subconscious part of our mind is we are, we, are, we are forming an opinion through talking to this person. Do I like what they're saying? Do we have things in common? Do I like that person? And where people get it wrong is that they will take that as a judgment as to whether or not they're right for the role. And they'll make a gut feel. Gut feeling based on no facts um, will often turn into a hire that hasn't gone right or what we call ostrich recruitment is where you bury your head in the sand and hope it all turns out okay. To, to, to fully understand um, and be able to make a decision if somebody is right is by knowing not only what you're hiring but why you're hiring it. And you have a number of key questions um, for the characteristics that you are looking for and that's characteristics around skill capability and the person the person of what it's going to be like in your organization so it's understanding culturally because you could have um the depending on on what side of the uh, the boat you sit on you can have the ronaldo or the messi but put them into your team they're not going to work because culturally it's not the right fit and then you're not going to get the most out of that person so so it's, it's making sure that you fully understand what it is that you're hiring. And then you have key questions that enable you to find out if the person has those characteristics to do it. And that doesn't matter if they're a top performer, because if they're a top performer in one organization, people will really focus in on how did you do that? What did you do? Yeah, that's good. You can do that here. Without realizing, actually, it won't work here if you dig into the other bits around it. So... In my part, it's um, how quickly into the interview can you know? Well, it depends on what you're trying to find out and have you got the right questions to get that information out of the person um, that you are talking to. Um, and that could be 10, 15 minutes, depending on the amount of questions that you have, or it could be 45 minutes, depending on where it is. 
and and you also the bit that really makes you stand out as a uh, as an interviewer is the same that sales leaders and good salespeople it's like a discovery call i'm going to ask you a question you're going to tell me an answer and then i'm going to ask you another question about your answer to back up what you just said rather than it being a tick box exercise i've asked that you've got that i'm kind of there the difficulty with it is that most sales leaders are hiring under pressure to hire and it's like right Am I trying to find the best person or I'm just trying to find someone that is good enough for right now? Um, and if we can get away from that and make sure you understand what and why you're hiring and your interview questions are based around what you're hiring, then at the end of that process, depending on how long your interview is, you should be able to have a, a, an established part. If you haven't got any of those motions, you'll probably make a decision in the first five minutes whether you like that person sometimes somebody will cover it but i also say it's a bit like um when you're buying a house you look online and you see the house and you think right i'm going to go and look at it most people know as soon as they walk through the front door that it's a no it's a it's it's not right um you still look around it and the first impression of it is it's so ingrained in there you have to really try and talk yourself into it later on Whereas if you walk through and you think, right, it's brilliant, you love it from the outset, there may be a small compromise that you have to make, but you're more likely to do that because you've liked it from the outset because you're doing everything based off emotion. Um, and that's where you need to take the emotion out of hiring. There is a part in it, but you've got to look at what you're looking to hire and the characteristics in there. So if you go off gut feel, you'll know pretty quickly, but that doesn't mean they're gonna be any good. The most successful ones will be um, if you've got key outcomes that you need to achieve from questions, then you'll take that away. You'll be able to look at it and, and make a decision based on the person uh, and the skill. How does that sound? Sounds uh, really makes lots of sense and uh, answered the questions that I, I really struggled with, you know, because I always thought about the first impression versus what you really need. And uh, the answer really puts things in place. Thank you for that. No problem at all. Well, actually, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I always learn a lot every time we get to, uh, to have a conversation. And I know uh, your schedule is absolutely uh, packed at the moment, which is great. So uh, to find time to, uh, to squeeze this in, um, uh, I, I really appreciate. And I'm sure the people listening will, uh, will learn a lot from hearing you talk about your, uh, your journey and what you've achieved. Thank you very much, James. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you.